All right, well, let's begin with prayer. <clears throat> Father, it is our prayer tonight that your glory should be revealed. You should be known. We thank you for that great cry of your son to glorify his desire to glorify the Father. Thank you tonight that your name has been glorified. It will be glorified again. And we're coming and asking you to teach us your way and move in us by your spirit so that we can fulfill your purpose in our lives. We come and trust you for that, and we would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder what you think heaven's going to be like. How about that for blunt out there? More importantly, probably the, the better way to ask it would be that. I wonder what you expect to be like in heaven, right? What do you, what do you expect? I mean, what's your picture? I, was, uh, I read comics when I was growing up. That's, I'm, I'm old enough to read comics. Okay, so comics, Sunday, after, Sunday morning, had to get to the comics, all right? And one of the comics was one, I think it was called, and I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but then you'll give away how old you are. But anyway, uh, was called The Family Circus, and this guy was all captivated with people in heaven. I mean, there were, I don't think about every third week there was somebody from heaven. Was, uh, it was always grandpa or something was in heaven. He looked like grandpa, right? And he was always dressed in this robe, and he had sandals. He always had sandals on, all right? And I don't remember. I think he had a halo. I don't know what else he had. But, you know, you, you grow up, and you kind of have all those kinds of caricatures of this is what heaven would be like. What do you think you're going to be like in heaven? What is it going to be? That's an important question to us, and uh, we need an answer to it. What are we going to be like at that particular time? Now, you say, now, I've come to four of these, and you told me we were going to talk about prayer. All right, so let's go, and we're going to drop that for right now. We're going to come back to that thought later on about what it's going to be like in heaven, but uh, the question comes about prayer. How's the prayer work? You know, what, is, what are we going to learn from Paul? Because we, we start off looking at what Paul says in Thessalonians and about this fact that we are to pray without ceasing. We're to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. And we're asking the question, Paul, what did it work out for, what did, how did that work out in your life that you prayed without ceasing? And I trust we've seen at this point that that, that continuous spirit of prayer shows up in Paul and it in his epistles, he keeps breaking out into prayer, right? He keeps breaking off into these, they're not long prayers, they're just short statements of prayer. They come in a whole variety of forms. Tonight, we want to look at one particular kind. Um, we've seen some of his petitions, we've seen some of his benedictions, and tonight we want to look at a doxology that he, he lifts, and it's an important one to uh, kind of sum up. Again, this is a survey class. This is one of those ones. We're not going to cover everything that Paul prayed because that's not possible in 10 weeks. But we are going to look at the way he did it and see something of his own heart in all this, right? The passage we're going to be in tonight is in, it's also in Romans. We were in Romans last week as we thought about that petition on the part of Paul, the great way he prays. What do you pray for? He says, now I'm going to pray. Here's what I want. May God, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you might abound in hope through the power of the Spirit. How about that? That's quite a prayer. I've been trying to get it across to students. He summed up a whole lot there in, in a little bit of, of time. Why does he pray like that? Well, tonight we want to look at that. It's in, uh, we're going to, why he could pray that way. We're going to be in Romans chapter 16, the concluding verses. We're going to begin in verse 25. I normally read from the New American Standard, and everything else I will read tonight will be from the New American Standard, just so everybody knows it. Tonight I'm going to read from the ESV. The reason I'm going to do that is sometimes Paul has very convoluted sentences, which the New American Standard follows. And I practiced this week trying to read this sentence in the New American Standard, and I couldn't do it. My, my voice in, intonation couldn't follow where's the main clause. I keep looking for the main clause, and I couldn't work it out. So I'm going to go to the ESV because they have rearranged it just a little bit, and it 
it makes it a lot easier for us to grasp it. So here it is in the ESV. This is the final statement in the book of Romans. Um, For your own study later on, you could look and see how much of what he started off in the first chapter is repeated in this little doxology at the end. This is kind of bookends the the book. He said this is where we're going, and now he's finished. Very good conclusion here. But it's a prayer. It's a doxology, a prayer to God. It says, now to him, this is chapter 16, verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, and I should uh, note this point so I get this in, the word strengthen in the New American Standard is um, establish you, and it comes closer to the meaning. The thought here is not so much strong like you do weight, you know, you lift weights and you get stronger. It's the idea that something has been fortified so that it can take pressure, all right? So that if I, again, you got them all around here, you, we're, in a, we're in a country here, so mailboxes get smashed, so some people have fortified, they have their mailbox, they put it inside of stones. Some of them have got it encased in quarter-inch, uh, you know, steel or, you know, steel casing. So that when you hit it with a bat, you lose and the, the, uh, the uh, mailbox survives. See, that's to fortify, that's to establish it. Now it, it can take it. It's like you would establish a wall or you build it so that when an onslaught comes against it, it can stand there. It doesn't get pushed around, all right? So that's the idea. It's establishing, make strong in the sense that you're set there. So he's the God who has strengthened you. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed through the prophetic writings, uh, being disclosed through the uh, prophetic writings, has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. And he goes back to whom he's speaking, to the only wise God, be glory forever through a, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, when we're teaching these things in, in class, again, with Paul, he has this tendency to have a petition which he embellishes. Not embellishes in a bad way, but he explains it as he goes. Here's the petition. Here's all the explanation for why I gave this petition. Next week, we're going to start into his prison prayers, and we'll see that. He says, this is the prayer, and then he gives you all the reasons why he's praying that way. Now, in this particular case, it's important for us to dissect and remove the embellishment and see what is the essence of what he's trying to say. What is his prayer? And it's actually very simple, right? Now, he starts, and now to him, okay? Now to him. And then he's going to define him, all right? He's going to define him. Him is God, all right? We'll just, we'll shorten it there. Him is God. And his petition is comes at the end, to him be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Unto him be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. That's his prayer. That's the finishing. That's after he has completed describing the gospel, which he mentions in this prayer. But after he finishes that, and he says, this is, this is the gospel I preach. This is what God's able to do. Now he says, not... Now may God bring it to pass in you. But now he says this, now may God, to him, be glory, all right, forever and ever, all right, forever. That's an interesting prayer. And I have to admit that early on, I got real confused on this. When I was first taught this fact that the, the end of God's actions is always his own glory, that really bothered me at the beginning. <laughs> Come on. Uh, you're talking to us about humility. You're talking about taking a lowly place. And the purpose of God is to glorify his name in everything. Well, of course, you, again, we have a problem with that. Think about this room. I'm sure that in this room, there's a lot of talent. There's athletic talent. There is intellectual talent. There's musical talent. There's artistic talent. Again, we go all. There's a whole lot of it. There's trivia cha- uh, challenge ta- uh, talent. People that can do well at something, and 
And I know, because this is the way I you know, was before, way back, and still. <laughs> when you have talent, you kind of want to let people know. Because you sit in this room and you don't know. You know, it was just recently I was, I was in a particular situation, and I heard a person singing, and I'm going like, whoa, they've got a voice. <laughs> I didn't know that. I've been around them for a long time. And wow. You see, while you're sitting there, your talents are not on display. Now, we, we kind of look at it that you, maybe it's a bad thing to make your, to want this, everybody to see my talents, but of course, that depends on exactly how much talent you have, right? I went to Furman University a long time ago, a long time ago. My dad was a, um, a classic music, uh, he liked classic music. He sends me, he pays the money to send me to Furman University. They had a fine arts um, series that would come in. And this one lady came in. Her name was Roberta Peters. Roberta Peters, I think that was her name. Anyway, it's close to that. She came in and, and I just thought I'd better go because if my dad found out that she had been there and I didn't go, he's going to ask what he's paying for. You know? So I'm going to go and I listen to this. Now, I'm not a great opera fan. I'm not a great opera fan. But that woman could do things with her voice that even I was impressed with. And I don't know what I'm watching. Her command of her voice was, you're going like, wow, that's something. You see, if you step aside, she's just a person, right? But she gets on that stage and she demonstrates who she is. And we applauded. Right? Even I applauded, and I don't know what I'm thinking about. I'm not a musician. We go and we watch people play in a, in a game, in a sport, because we want to see people who can do things that are just amazing. And then we applaud when they do it. Right? We will let the, the ones with the extreme talent out here off on this, but for everybody or rest to, to live so that your whole thing is for the glory, for your own glory, doesn't hit us right but it's exactly what paul is praying here may god himself receive the glory forever which excludes everything else i mean this is his prayer we have again we might have a problem with that but our problem comes down to this we don't understand how he's going to go about that that's at the very beginning of what we said there he he's going to his it's to god and it's for his glory but what is the means by which God has chosen to glorify his name in this particular world? Right? This, this realm that he's revealed to us. Now, we have no idea. Later on, we're going to talk about this. We know what God wants us to know about himself. That's what revelation is all about. We know what he has chosen to tell us. I have no doubt in my heart that beyond what it says in the word concerning who he is are vast dimensions of the eternal being that are incomprehensible, that couldn't be written down and, and understood. But he has told us certain things. How is it that God wants to be glorified in this particular day? Well, the way he intends to be glorified, this is how it shows up here, is in his saving power, his saving capacity. Now, we see the glory of God all around us in his creative capacities, all right? He creates this vast universe. And it, it speaks to us about the immensity of his wisdom and his power and all the rest of it. But in this moment, at this time, the glory of God is going to be revealed in his saving power. What he can do, not with a clean slate, all right? Because it's one thing to start with something or start with a clean slate, there's nothing there, and you just build what you want. You do what you want. You paint what you want. You, anyway, you can do it all. It's quite a different thing to take something which is a wreck and put it back together again. In this time, at this point in time, um, God's glorifying his name by putting back together a ruined creation. And it's in that, it's in that realm that this idea of God being glorified is, is always couched. Now, 
we're going to take a little bit of time and go through some verses. Again, this is kind of a, you know, I told you at the beginning, this is kind of one of those appreciation courses. We just, we just want to see it. We want to sit in front of it. If we're going to say that he is going to be honored and glorified and it's tied to this, that is the way the prayers go in the New Testament. So I want to look through a series of prayers before we come back to the passage in Romans and see that this, this is a consistent pattern in the Word of God. Tonight, we're going to be thinking about not only what Paul, how Paul prays, but we're going to be thinking about how Peter prays and what Jude has to say and then how John gives us this same truth in the Revelation. Let's, let's go to the book of Ephesians. We'll start there because this is part of what this question comes up. What is it going to be like in heaven? Well, I, I can't describe it. I haven't been there. I can hardly conceive it. But here's what, what we're going to see in all this. That God in his reconstructive power, in his saving power, in his redeeming power, what, however, whatever word you want to attach to that, is going to take a ruined creation and make it perfect. He is going to take fallen men and make them exactly what he wants them to be. It's also in the book of Ephesians in, in a lot of ways because at the very beginning of the book of Ephesians, he starts off telling us how we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've talked about that many times. But he says that that is there so that we might, you and I, might be to the praise of the glory of his grace. We might be to the praise of the glory of his grace. That when he is finished, when he's finished with all of this, when he has completed his work in us, and that won't happen on this earth, but when we are in eternity, and it's all complete, and all of the redeemed are there, it's as if he would say, here is the church, look at it, and show me anything that is wrong with it. That's that's the part that has been thrilling for me this week going through this. Show me any part that's wrong with it. Now, in a sense, we all know that, that we'll be perfect in heaven. But I wonder if you can conceive of that, if you can even think that way. One of the ways I had the, the justifying work of God described to me and illustrations given was it was like putting a robe on, putting a robe on. Mr. Kelly used to have an illustration of his wife. Being, she was in... Uh, in Japan, and they, they were going to the Olympics way back along the line. The Olympics were in Japan, and she, they were missionaries. And they were in the poor days of missionaries. All right, these are poor missionaries. And she didn't have anything to wear that would, she was going to look like a rat trap if, you know, here it was. How is she going to stay warm standing sitting out there at the Winter Olympics? They were Winter Olympics, okay? But a friend gave her... <laughs> I don't remember. It was a. It was. It was a time when they did this. Um, it was a fur coat, all right. When fur coats were still something. It was a very, very expensive fur coat because the person was very, very wealthy. Because he, he wasn't sure. He wasn't sure. But anyway, she finally wears it. So she has this, which she puts over her other coat because it was kind of weak, and this keeps her warm. You see, you look at her, you think she's wealthy, but she's not because. Anyway, she isn't. And I had sort of this, that picture of, of the righteousness of the Lord being in, I was in, you know, going to be in heaven like a turtle, right? If I just stay in my shell of the righteousness of the Lord, <laughs> it'll be okay. But if I pop out, it's me again. Nope, nope, you don't want to see me, all right? Now, I don't know. Again, that might be, you might say, that's, that's because you were dumb. <laughs> didn't figure out what was going on. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, we get funny thoughts in our mind. But it's not going to be like that. It's not going to be like that. If you were inspected in heaven, there would be no trace. There's nothing going to be left of this world and what you are in this world. What, what defiles you in this world. Right? Paul says at one point when, it, when we get finished, he says... He, we're going to take off this tent. We, we know that if this tent of our earthly dwelling, we're talking about this thing that is decaying and falling dead. If this tent is wrapped up and it's finished, we have a building established in the heavens. Now, that building isn't a, a mansion over the hilltop. That's us. As I'm going to exchange 
this body for a new body. I'm going to be completely made new. When that is made new, there will be no trace of who I was on this earth in the sense of anything that defiles, anything. There's nothing left. Right? It is for that reason that the church sings the praises of God. Let's look at those. Okay, Ephesians chapter 3. This is after his prayer. We're going to be coming back to this prayer in a couple weeks. But uh, in this prayer, he's been asking God to strengthen his strength of the believers. And when they have strength, they'll have faith and they'll have love and they're going to experience this love. But then he says that the, the grand conclusion of this, and, and I've looked at this a lot of times, and you look at this and you look at real churches and you say, Lord, bring it to pass. That you might, and he's talking about all of us, I'm not talking about individuals, but that we as a group, we as a church might be filled up to all the fullness of God. How about that? How about that? Kind of shakes your faith, doesn't it, to think that Paul, Paul said, that that's what you're aiming at, but is it even possible in a fallen world, in a, in a place where we're at, is it possible to get to that kind of place? Well, Paul seems to think so because this is what he says next. With that kind of impossibility in front of us, he says in verse 20, all right, this is chapter 3, verse 20, he has this to say, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to what? The power that works in us, and the power that works in us is the power of the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. It's the power of the Spirit bringing the resurrected life of Jesus Christ to, to, into our experience. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Same, same conclusion, to him be glory. But he's going to be glory in the church and in the Lord. Right? So that it's in the, it is in the recovering of individuals and making them into spotless individuals. Yeah, let me just, I don't think I ever read that passage or the part from uh, chapter 5. Chapter 5, where this is, this is his goal. We hear this one a lot because if you go to weddings, they read it to you. All right, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. All right, now I'm going to stop. I'm not, we're not having a wedding ceremony, so we're not going to talk that direction. But we want to go on to what he says, the, how the Lord loved his church and what his goal was. All right, um, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. We know that part pretty well. So that, here's his purpose, so that he might sanctify her, that is purify her, completely purify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. And here's a, here's a big one. Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That's quite something. <laughs> it's quite something. That's the end of our salvation. It doesn't finish with us just being joyous. That was last week. We can think about that, but it ends here with a place where we have been so completely redeemed, we have been so completely changed by the power of God that every vestige of the fall that touches us today is completely gone. That's one of the reasons I have a hard time picturing heaven. I just have a hard time because I have lived for 75 or 73 years with a, a nature which has to be hemmed in. Right? Before I knew the Lord, it was completely running wild, and I did things that shouldn't have been done. I come to be the Lord's, and I'd have a desire to serve Him, but the fact is, even with a desire to serve Him, I have to follow Paul's exhortation to put to death the deeds of the body. That's my own, my own desires put them to death so that I could glorify God. He strengthens me to do that, but I have to live with that. I have to not only determine to follow God, but I have to crucify the flesh with its what? Affections and lusts. 
those affections and lusts still touch the soul. I'm not saying you give in to them. I'm just saying that the very fact, as we've said many times, the very fact that certain things are a pull in my heart at all is a pain, a deep pain, that that could touch me in any sense. All right? So I take this, which I've lived with, again, it was, I was 1972. That's 50-some years ago that I was, or 51 years ago when I was converted. For 51 years, even determining to serve the Lord, I've still had to live with this. Now, it's very hard for me to picture that all gone. It's hard for me to picture what it would be like to have nothing that defiled, nothing that pulled you down, and be in an atmosphere where there was no temptation on the outside, where I don't have to get up every day and say, Lord, lead me not into temptation. I'm too weak for that. Just keep me from temptation. Keep me from the evil one. I don't have to do that anymore. That's tremendous. And so what are the, what's the cry then that comes up when the redeemed are in that place? To him who redeemed us, what? To him be glory forever and ever. When that church is presented, that's the picture that is at the beginning of this book of Ephesians, when it's presented and people say, wow, that's wonderful, what they're going to do is say, what kind of a God are you that you could take that mess and turn it into this kind of glory? It's not going to be that they're going to say, wow, this church is really a pretty thing. It's really a great thing. All the... All that will go to the one who redeemed us. How far is he going to save us? Let's look to another one. All right, It's always associated with his power to save. This is 2 Timothy. We're in 2 Timothy now. Uh, we're just selecting out some of the times which Paul says this. In 2 Timothy in chapter 4, verse 16, Paul's speaking about his, it's the end of his life. And he says, at my first defense, he had a chance to appear before Caesar. He says, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Now Paul comes to this song of praise again in God's power to say, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He's the same thing. He thinks about what it means that God is going to bring him to that, in, that place, and then comes this, exert, or this call to glorify his name. All right, now we're in Second Peter, or excuse me, First Peter. First Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and we are going to begin in verse 10. Let me just get you back on what's going on. 1 Peter is written to a group of people that are suffering persecution. They're being instructed how to handle that situation. It, It comes up just immediately before this that there is an enemy that's out there trying to get at him and all the rest of it. He's telling them how to resist him. That's where he said right before this, resist the devil, firm in your faith. And then he says in verse 10, and I think this is one of the most comforting verses of the New Testament. I don't know if you've ever found this one to be particularly comforting, but here it is. And after you've suffered for a little while, they are going to go through it. Right? After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, how about this, will himself perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Why? Because of his saving power, because of the extent of his saving power. We have a tendency, again, when I was growing up, it was, I was around the gospel enough to know that you went to Jesus to get him to forgive your sins so you got to heaven. That was the saving power. That's all the further it went with me, was his idea that I'm going to, 
I'm going to continue to exist forever. I'll either exist in heaven or I'll exist in hell. And if I come to Jesus, I can, I'll be in one or the other. So that there's, there's people like me in hell and there's people like me in heaven. Not so. Right? When he's finished with you, he will perfect. He will confirm. He will strengthen. And he will establish you. That means everything. Again, I want to say it. Everything of this world and the fallen part of this world is gone. And so what does Peter say? He says, glory to him forever. Let's keep going because we're going to run out of time. Because we still have to get back to that verse in in, uh, the book of Romans. Here's one that we all pretty much know. It's in Jude chapter 24. Uh, chapter 20, chapter 1, which is only chapter, it's verse 24. All right, verse 24. One we use as a benediction often. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. All right, now the stumbling here, I don't think he's speaking so much about falling into sin. He's talking about the race that's in front of us. And the long haul to get to the end of the race. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. This is from exhaustion. This is from, from lack of energy and strength to keep going. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. And to make you stand in his presence. Or in the presence of his glory. Blameless. With great joy. That's the end of the race. That's what's going to happen. This is, again, one of those verses that's real helpful because um, you can get to a place where you're going like, oh, I don't, I'll just be glad when, when I've gotten to heaven and we've gotten everything straightened away with the Lord and I can keep going, and, you know, just because uh, I'll be embarrassed when I get there, you know. Uh, I just didn't do this right. I didn't do that right. I, I'm sorry, Lord. This is the promise about what he's going to do. He's able to keep you from stumbling. That's to get you the line. And then what? To make you stand in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's what I anticipate on the day that I breathe my last. That the next moment I will be in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Why do I believe that? Because the glory is the glory of Jesus Christ saving and redeeming a ruined thing. And he's going to finish it. He who began the good work will finish it. And when it's finished, it will be perfect. And so he says in the next line, what? To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. How long? Before all time and now and forever. That's a third man. Okay, we got... Paul saying this, we've got Peter saying this, now we have Jude saying that. Uh, I'm going to go to one verse, this, is, this isn't really John saying it. He takes us in the book of Revelation in chapter 5 to a point where those guys, are that, that church has been redeemed. It's the picture, again, and we, it doesn't tell us exactly what everything will be like, but it's a picture of the whole church having been redeemed, and now the church being fully redeemed, being fully saved is before the throne. And this is what they have to say. This is before the Lamb. In chapter 4, they glorify God because He's the Creator and the Powerful One. In chapter 5, they glorify the Lamb for what He has done. Let's just read it. It's it's worth going back all the way to verse 8. This is chapter 5, verse 8. And when He had taken the book, The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And here's the essence of those prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made them. It's not only that he redeemed them. I want you to catch what he's going here. Not only that he came and forgave our sins because of what price he paid, but this is what he's done. Now you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, 
and they will reign upon the earth. You have completely taken the ruined thing. It was made in your image. It was ruined, and now it has been restored to the point where it can be a kingdom of priests to our God, reigning on this earth. And then they finish up the, let's go down to verse 12. And they, they said with a loud voice, worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every creature or every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them. I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And they're all saying that because of the redemptive power of God manifested in real human beings. Now, why do we go over all that? You say that what about the prayer part? You know, what about the prayer part? Uh, how does that fit in with what we're trying to understand about Paul's prayer life? Well, in order for Paul to pray the way he does, he has to understand that, and he did understand it. That everything was to the praise and glory of God. That every day, we have a chance on this earth, every, every minute of every day, we have the chance to participate in that, in that glory coming. This is, the, this is the amazing part, that it, it's not just that he's going to do it out there. He has chosen to make us part of his kingdom. He has chosen to make us the children of God to do the work. He has chosen to make us the bride, the body of Christ, to fulfill the purpose. That if this is going to happen out there, how about this? It's going to happen because people like us who know God have been brought into the place. We are living with that in mind. Paul lived with that in mind. That's why he prays the prayers he prays. He prays for the glory of God to be revealed in his redeeming power. As we look to, in starting next week, we'll be thinking about the prison prayers. He's praying for real individuals. But he's praying for God to do something in them. And what is he praying for him to do in them? He's looking to God to do redeeming things. To meet them even now. So that as he prays for all this, it's with this backdrop again. We think about those backdrops of the fact that God could be glorified. God could be glorified. That there is the chance, and again, we're going to talk about this from the prayer. There is the chance tonight that if I properly present the word of God in the power of the Spirit, that God could do part of that sanctifying work in this room among us. That's what he wants to do, right? He wants to, us to be filled up to all the fullness of God. That doesn't happen just boom, here it is. That happens as men and women who know him take hold of the Spirit of God and use the Word of God and speak to one another. And then sanctifying works are done as he perfects his church. This is tremendous. Now, Paul would pray without ceasing. Why can he pray without ceasing? Because he knows he is endlessly in that circumstance. Because as long as people are around him, there is the chance for Jesus to receive more, God to receive more glory through his redeeming power in the lives of the people right around him. So what's he pray for you? So then, again, what do he pray for the, the Romans? And, and we should note this. I didn't mention it last week, but just to put this in time reference. In about eight to ten years, the brethren in Rome are going to face the wrath of Nero. And all those terrible stories that you've heard about his brutalities to the church, they're just a few years away. And some of the characters that Paul spoke to probably were the individuals who received the brunt of that persecution. If they were going to be able to go through that and glorify God, what would have to happen? Well, that's why he prayed last week. Well, he well, didn't pray last week, but why we saw what he, what he also prayed. What? May the God of all hope. 
fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you might have an abundance of hope through the power of the Spirit of God. Now, he's not just praying that, so the nice prayer, let's, let, you know, like put them all to bed, let's, you know, pray a nice benediction on them. He's praying that because those people are going to face serious problems in the future. That's one of the reasons why Peter prayed for the church that he's speaking to, that we read tonight. Why? Because they're going to face, they are already facing persecution. That means hardship. That means families broken up. That means economic hardship. That means humiliation in in the community. But he's praying for them. Why? I have to know this. Endure it. You've got to endure this. What? Because if you endure it, God, the God that you're trusting, is able to perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Don't worry about it. At the end, it'll be all right. But he's not praying. He's not praying in a pleasant circumstance. He's praying in a difficult place. We all live in a difficult world. We have to pray. We have to pray for one another. But the purpose of praying isn't so that just so. It's, it is so, but it's not just so. You're kept peaceful and enjoy. It's so that you endure and glorify the Lord. That's, this is Paul's thought. He has to do this because of the glory of God. Now, let's read this again and see that that's what he has to say. Yeah, we've got to go quickly here, but we're going to get into it. Romans chapter 16, back to the beginning here. Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Now to him, all right? We said this was God, but now he's going to describe God. This is how Paul understands God. Understands what he has revealed himself to be. Now to him who is able to establish you, I'm going to use the word that the New American Standard has there, to establish you according to my gospel, all right? Now when Paul says it's his gospel, he's not saying that he had a gospel and John has a gospel and everybody else has a gospel. That's not what he's talking about. When Paul says, my gospel, he says, this is the gospel I not only teach, but that I have embraced. This is the message that I believe. This is the way I have responded. It's my gospel. He then uses a series of, he says a series of things which are actually different ways of looking at this message. What is it, how is it God able to strengthen and establish you? He's able to do it through the gospel. Then he says this way, through the preaching of Jesus Christ. Because it's in what Jesus Christ does and has done and can do that you will be established. So he says then through the preaching of Jesus, that's the same thing. And then he says it again in a different way. He says, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all the nations according to the commandment or the command of the eternal God. The mystery which is, you know, is hidden in the past ages. Now he says that it's this, this mystery was revealed according to the prophets. And um, this is where it gets a little mysterious. But those prophets in the context here almost have to be the Old Testament prophets. And that seems to be a bit of a contradiction. Because he said that this was a mystery, that this gospel was a mystery that was hidden, but then it's revealed because of the prophets. All right? But this is helpful to our own understanding of how we should read the Bible. I like to do crossword, or not crossword puzzles, uh, the puzzles where you, boy, little puzzles anyway. You put them together, you know, you got all these little pieces. Jigsaw puzzles. Yeah, thank you. I'm having. Brain cloud there. Okay, okay. It's a big saw puzzle. Okay. So I like to do these puzzles. Now, my wife and I do them differently. She's, she's purist about it. I'm not. I like that picture. Find this piece. I can't figure out where it goes. I'm hunting all over that picture. Can't be over here. It got to fit right there. She doesn't like to do that. I, I do it all the time. About a year ago, I was given a puzzle, and they didn't give me the picture. It was a mystery puzzle, all right? That was, it went along with a mystery thing. So now I have to put all these pieces, and I don't even know where we're going. 
I don't know what this is going to look like when we're finished. I just have this piece. Where does it fit? It's a real piece to the puzzle. It, it will fit together to help, you know, to make the whole picture. But I don't know where it fits. Now, eventually, we got that thing together. <laughs> and then you figure out where it fits. It all makes sense. Now, what Paul is saying here is this. In the Old Testament, there, there was a whole lot that the, the prophets said about Jesus Christ, but they were, they were puzzle pieces separated from the picture. So the people didn't get it. They could get some parts of it. Oh, uh, where's the child going to be born? Oh, where's Bethlehem? Go to Bethlehem, all right? So they could get that little piece. But if you take what the Old Testament says and you don't have the New Testament, you don't come up with the New Testament. That's not to say there's a contradiction. It's just to say that when God wanted to reveal it, he sent his son. That is the beginning of John chapter 1, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was in the beginning. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then we beheld his glory. It was when Jesus came to this earth that we beheld his glory. God, who had passed times and sundry man, has spoke to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days, has spoken in Son, in his Son. It is when Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived on it, died on it, and rose again, that we begin to see the picture. Once you see who Jesus Christ is, then the mystery is solved. Then the pieces fit into place. Then Psalm 22 begins to make sense. Then Isaiah chapter 53 begins to make some sense. And all sorts of little tidbits of the Old Testament that by themselves were only tidbits and tantalizing pieces now are in place and we can, we can refer to them. What Paul is saying is that God has sent the Lord Jesus Christ and because the Lord is, has come to this earth, the pieces fit, and now the Old Testament becomes an open book. That's what Paul could go. After Jesus Christ, Paul could go to the synagogues and could preach Jesus and show them, demonstrate that he was the Christ after the revelations take place there. Now, what does that all mean? All right. Now, he says it's also according to the command of God. All this has been done according to the command. There is, there is a gospel. There's the preaching of Jesus. There is this revelation. But he says, now there's a command of God. That's why we're here tonight. Because it's the command of God that that be proclaimed. Right? That's how the mystery becomes reality for people who God wants to reshape and completely remake so that they will be spotless, without blemish, not only forgiven sinners, but actual reproduced saints of, of Jesus Christ. This girl used to say that one of the writers think about it says, what's going to happen in heaven is they're going to say this. You know, the amazing thing is they all look just like him. And that's what we'll look like. Now, I don't know how exactly that's going to be, but they're going to be perfect. You're going to be perfect in that day. All right? Because he goes on to say that the purpose of God was not only that you should be saved, but what? And this is a phrase which Paul uses at the beginning of the book of Romans, and he uses at the end of the book of Romans, which we have a hard time in our own day. He says the purpose of God in all of this, you know, all this was to bring about in men and women who are lost, all men, the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. Strange, strange term, because we... Uh, oh no, does that mean faith? We're going to mix works with faith. No, it doesn't mean that. But it means that when Jesus Christ came, he came to make you completely new, not just to get you forgiven for what you've done in the past. But what he wants to do is make it completely new. How does he do that? On a cross, he paid the price, not only for the guilt of your sin, but he took you with him. He took you with him. The way it's described in the New Testament is you've been placed. If you come to him and you commit your life to Jesus, you come and trust him for salvation, you are identified with him in a place where it says that you are in him. And his experience becomes your experience. And when 
you, when he died, you died. When he raised or was raised from the dead, you were raised from the dead. And one day, and he becomes the first fruit of those that live. Right? He's already in heaven as the first fruit there. You will experience his resurrection. You will experience his glory. You will experience everything he has to give. Because now, for eternity, you'll be tied to him. The purpose in God glorifying you, this is, the, this is the greatness of God, think about it, was not just that he could produce this and then have an ornament in heaven called the church. Yeah, that's what I can do. He did this by tying you to him for eternity. By linking you directly to Jesus Christ for all eternity. And in the fact that the eternal God was willing to pay that price, in order to make this thing altogether new, he is worthy to be praised. He is worthy of all the glory. That's the, that's the picture of this. This is behind Paul's praying. And that's why he would pray for people. We're going to talk about how he prays in the detail. It's all so that the purpose of God will be fulfilled in them. And it's not just so that they could be released, although he's concerned about their release. It's so that the God of glory will be known, manifested. Every time we overcome sin, the God of glory is manifested. Every time a person is made new, every time a person comes from darkness to light and entrusts themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, there is glory to his name. Isn't that wonderful? Today is our great privilege to be participant in that. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Why? Because we are constantly in a place where people around us are short of the mark and there's all kinds of room to ask God to work. Isn't that wonderful? And we can participate. We can join him in his work. He'll do it, but we have a chance to to join him there. It's a great prayer. Paul prayed. Yeah, he prayed great prayers for people. But the motivation of all that was that the glory of God might be seen. What are you going to look like in heaven? Well, I don't know exactly what you'll look like in heaven. But I know this. It will be perfect. All that this earth has that drags us down is going to be gone. It will be perfect joy, perfect peace. There will be no need to ask about all that because the one who saved us has saved us completely. He's able, says the writer of Hebrews, to save to the last degree. Save you forever and save you from everything because he's always going to be alive making intercession for you. Okay, well, let's pray. Father, we come before you. We ask you to show us yourself. May we see you high and lifted up and may our lives, our redeemed lives, be to your praise and glory while we're on this earth. Lord, teach us on earth to show by our love how much we owe. And we thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.